What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hellman, and today we're picking up where we left off with that conversation that I was having with Adam about our hunt for a new co-working space and all of the things that we have to manage and consider and make sure that this move and this transition is seamless and smooth. And this week, we're getting into what is probably my favorite part of the process, which is how we actually do this collaboratively with our community. And I see a lot of people opening co-working spaces or moving into co-working spaces and it all happens in a vacuum. They take all of the work on themselves, and this starts looking more like a traditional office move, where if you worked for a company, your employer would handle all of the details. You would just have your stuff packed up on one Friday, and when you come in on Monday, you'd be in a new spot. That's not how things work here. We have our community involved at every turn, at every corner, in many, many, many decisions, even ones that might surprise you. And we're going to talk more about how we actually do that in a way that is productive because that might sound like a great way to slow things down, but we actually use it as a way to keep things moving, keep people involved, and ultimately combat the number one problem, which is people not even knowing that the move is happening in the first place. So there's a lot to learn from this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you take a lot of notes. I hope you get good things out of it. And even if you're not changing locations, even if you're not looking for a co-working space, if you're trying to get your community more involved, get them to take a sense of ownership and pride over the space that they share, there's things to learn from this episode. So pay close attention and I hope you enjoy. Maybe one of the ways you can accept or acknowledge people's idea uh, brainstorming, it be like the big ambitious stuff that comes with a move of this scope and, and size that affects all of us, uh, I suppose is just asking people to please hold on to that suggestion. I, I hear you. Just please keep that in your pocket and don't forget it because maybe there will be a time coming up soon when this is going to be super relevant. Or I'll even go one step further. Like I mentioned, we, we're using Trello, which we use a lot here for organizing ideas. And if you haven't used Trello, its strength is also its biggest weakness in that it can kind of be used for anything. Yeah, anything. It's like a to-do list of to-do lists of to-do lists. You get a board with columns. Uh, the board can be for a specific project, for an event, for a, a context. Uh, in this case, we have one for the move. Then we have specific columns for you know projects that we know we're going to do. We mm-hmm. have one for ideas. We have one for specific areas like the kitchen redesign and then inside of a card you can paste links you can paste photos you can have conversations you can link across them and things like that yeah and just having a place to put that stuff i think that's one thing to say that's great for later Mm -hmm. and and sometimes that is the the best answer and i'd say the time that that's the best answer is when something is really really vague and high level Mm -hmm. If the best next step is we should talk about that, like to get that a little more detail, then that might not be written down yet. But if there's something concrete that now just isn't the time for, or we've got to, you know, and that's time, but like there's something else that needs to get done first. And so I can't let that potentially slip. And so I've got to keep my focus there. The act of writing it down and having it be public is I think just one level up in terms of that sense of acknowledgement, like it's written down. That still doesn't mean it's going to happen. What it does mean is we can continue that. We can pick it up. It's not going to be forgotten. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff. I look at that board. Um, our Pinterest board is another tool that didn't exist prior to, you know, in our, our prior moves. But this time around, I think we've been making great use of for when somebody, you know, links to a piece of equipment or a tool or something we might need to buy. 
Uh, I either invite them to the Pinterest board to add it themselves. If people have never used Pinterest before or they don't want to learn how, I'll go ahead and, and add it for them. Yeah. Uh, but having that as a place to toss out ideas, and it's, again, it doesn't mean this is what we're going to do. It means when we're scanning for ideas, when we're, sc- we're scanning for, for pulse. Um, actually, one of the best examples of the why the Pinterest board was valuable was when we brought on a light fixture consultant mm-hmm. um, who was a recommendation through a member here at the community, naturally. Of course. Um, I put out the feelers and said the electrical engineers are coming back with stuff that is functional, it's tactical, it works, but they, I, they can't have a conversation about feel and vibe and lighting like certain other things, but maybe more than anything else I can think of. Lighting is one of those things in a workplace that you don't really notice it unless it's really, really bad. Yeah. And I yeah. wanted to avoid that, and I wanted to avoid that by having a conversation about lighting from the perspective of feel, of experience. And the lighting engineers were more concerned about how many, how many watts we pulled and whether it was bright enough to pass code. Yeah. And I said, I'm pretty sure we can fit within those constraints. You tell me what those constraints are, but I care more about how it feels. Yeah. Right. So we ended up uh, enlisting a, a guy named Terrell and Terrell has been awesome. Among the reasons that Terrell has been great is because he himself is an artist. He does a lot of work in, you know, theaters and art installations. And so Terrell does think about lighting from a functional perspective. Yeah. But he can also think about it in terms of vibe, both in terms of the color temperature, as well as the aesthetic look of the fixtures itself. So I was able to send Terrell a Pinterest board full of things that were not light fixtures. Yeah. And he was able to look at that and from that get a feel for the things that we liked and use that to suggest some fixtures that we also might like. And yeah. from there, we were able to do, not in an actual Pandora terms, but I, he would send me you know, four or five selections and I would say, this direction looks good, even though I don't see anything that I would buy today. Like More like this, less like this. Yeah. And having that both for outside vendors like Terrell, for inside of our own community. And that's something that I think maybe we can use more going forward and something we've never really had is, you know, a, a ever growing, evolving collection of things that we like mm-hmm. in terms of that experience and being able to use that as a point of reference. Pinterest looks at how people tag and how people associate the things that you pin to a board. Yeah. So once you start pinning more reclaimed wood stuff, it's going to find other people's pins that were tagged reclaimed wood and start suggesting them as things that you yeah. might like. So it's helped surface ideas, materials, DIY projects, which are perfect for our community. Every time I see something in a design magazine, I go to Pinterest and I look for the DIY version because then in that case, it's not only a a solution to the tool, but it's a project that we can do together. Yeah. And that maybe is the underpinning. If we go all the way back to your original question, which was how am I doing and how am I doing it? Mm -hmm. I think the reason I haven't lost my shit is because I'm not treating this any differently from anything else that we do. Mm-hmm. If I were to let this project consume me and the day-to-day minutia of answering questions from electrical engineers and selecting flooring options, which like an, at a certain point I'm making decisions about things that I care so little about. And I was, you know, full disclosure, Adam's dad who works in the flooring industry actually helped tremendously with finding and sourcing flooring materials and actually recommended the material that we ended up going with and helped us get a really great rate. So Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much, Joe. Um, uh, he I said, never call him Joe. That's weird. Well, I was gonna say, apparently you never call him either. He said that I'm easier to get a hold of than you are. Um, so uh, Thanks, call, your, Joe. call your dad. Um, <laughs> um, that, you know, I'm making... That was actually, you know, talk about moments that you don't expect in your life. There was a, a period about four weeks ago where I was 
absurdly stressed out about something that I didn't actually care about, and that was flooring. Yeah. And that is a really weird sensation when you find yourself caring about something that you know you don't actually care about. Yeah. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. I care about it because I know it's going to make a difference. I feel like yeah. the flooring, like the lighting, is one of those things that you notice most when it's when bad. It's, bad. it's expensive. Right, you're gonna spend. Uh, in our case, we're spending tens of thousands of dollars. It's one of the largest single purchases in the entire budget. Yeah, on flooring material, it's got to hold up well. It's got to look good. If it looks and feels bad, people notice. If it holds up poorly, people notice. Uh, and it's also not something that you can like change really easily. So it's among the larger, more permanent decisions. Yeah, but I still don't really care about flooring, and so I have to go through these mental gymnastics of how do I make myself comfortable with a choice mm-hmm. that ultimately I have to make, I have to authorize and then say, sign the check guys. Yeah. And the way I do that, like everything else, as I share it with the people around me, the people that I do care about yeah, and I have them look at it and I, it's not whether again, this is not a democracy. It's not, do you like it or not like it? It's what is your, like, how do you react? I'm trying to reverse engineer people's, pulse on things what are they excited about i mean there are lots of people here who like me don't give a shit about the flooring today i sat down with two of our teammates sam and sean to choose a white color paint for the walls yeah which i believe sam had described as this white or that white and it was this white or that white and it was another one of those decisions where i knew intellectually it doesn't really matter yeah but emotionally, I felt like if I'm the only one who thinks it doesn't matter, what, what if I'm the only one that thinks that way, yeah, right? And, and that works the other way around, right? Where I put a lot of attention into something and I wonder, am I putting too much attention into this one little detail? And so I share it with the people that I care about, our community, and their response to it helps me with my own. So maybe every Tuesday when we have a meeting to talk about facets of what needs to be done yet before we move... Part of that is tactical, and part of that is sanity check. I'm glad you said sanity check because I think that's that's a lot of it. Like, and that's where I, you know, when people go through this process without a community, I mean, and and, and part of it is just not knowing what's on the other side. You know, you're going to go through all this work to open a space, and then have to go and find people. And now you've got, you know, rent looming overhead, or if you're in an unusual situation where you don't have rent looming overhead, you still have an empty space that you're trying to fill. That position is a category of stress that we've never had to deal with. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very grateful for having the process that we have to be able to go through that. But the other thing that I hadn't really thought about, at least not as much until the last 12 weeks or so, is that sanity check of, you know, Am I just am I am I actually making smart decisions or am I just reacting? Yeah. And I think that because people end up work so many people end up working in a vacuum, they end up trending decisions towards defaults. So the building that we have a lease signed with, they have construction contractors. Mm-hmm. This is actually a fairly large commercial real estate. I mean, it's a real estate arm of a company, mm-hmm. right? So they are not a real estate company, but they have a real estate arm because they own buildings all over the world and they sublease portions of their buildings. Yeah to people like us. So they do lots of this work. They've got vendors that they work with. They're remarkably professional in that realm. It's one of the reasons I was very happy to sign with them was I was very impressed by how they 
approach managing their building. The yeah. guy who is responsible for the building at the top of the food chain on a day-to-day basis, he's got an entire staff of amazing people under him that support him. But Ray is the, the building engineer. Ray has been the building engineer at 399 Market for 27, maybe 28 years. That counts for something. And the team is a team that he's hired, that he leads, he respects. Like, they've got a whole family vibe going on over there, which I, among the reasons that I felt very confident in this choice, the space functionally worked. But it was, those were the things that influenced me much more in saying, I think these are people that I want to work with for the next five to eight years, maybe, maybe longer than that. Having people there that care about making sure the HVAC work, making sure the building mechanics, like the mechanicals are absolutely crucial, yeah. but I view as sort of like the skeleton. And, and it's been really interesting for them to come to me and say, well, how do you want this to be? Yeah. You know, it can be any way you want. And that's sort of the opposite of everything we've ever had up into this point where we sort of move into a space, we look around and go, yeah, we can make this work. Yeah. Whereas this, there's, you know, there's no electrical. There's limited HVAC. It's all going to need to be built out or completed. There's no framing. We can lay out the space any way we want. And there's an infinite number of decisions to make. And every new decision you make has decisions inside of it. And it's sort of this it's intimidating. layers. And it's like an, every, everything's got another onion layer inside of it. And then you end up making decisions about which freaking white paint you want. Yeah. I cannot imagine having to w- work through that alone yeah and so i'm endlessly grateful for being surrounded by people by a team and by a community of people that do care and again my expectations i keep in check which is nobody is likely to care about this more than i do right and i because i care both on the tactical level but also on the meta strategic level i care about people caring Mm -hmm. but my expectation is not that 100 percent of people care about 100 percent of the things Mm -hmm. My goal is to use this process by doing things out in the open to, in a lot of ways, as a tool to find out what people do care about. Mm-hmm. And so I can, sh- I can be strategic about showing them what I care about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the people who are super excited about a kitchen, right, be able to sit down with them one-on-one and say, hey, I know that you're super, I know that you use the kitchen a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, are there specific things that you've always thought about that would yeah. make a kitchen work really, really well at Indie Hall? Yeah. I don't need anything more than what's in your head. I'm here to take the pulse. And that's been a really awesome conduit for conversations. It's been a really amazing tool. This is, and maybe this is the secret sauce. Every decision has an outcome, right? Of course. And you don't know how the outcome is going to go until the decision is made, right? You can be right or wrong or somewhere in between. Sure. But if that's all you do with decisions is make decisions and you only get a right or a wrong out of it, you kind of miss out on one of the best parts, which is using the decision as a tool for having a conversation. Right. That's what makes this place tick is dialogue. Right. It's not the outcome. It's the journey sort of situation. And the decision-making process being out in the open, not being democratic necessarily, but being transparent, being clear has been an amazing tool for me getting a pulse of who's here, what they care about, what they don't care about, uh, what people's priorities are, and watching that, observing that, and reverse engineering that. I can't think of a better tool than a move. Yeah. As much work as it is, I'm extracting so much value from my understanding of who our community is and how we're going to work together for the next three, five, eight years. Right? This is 
This is so valuable. And if whether you're opening a brand new space or you're going through a move like we are right now, if you don't view a move or an expansion, you know, to an additional space or more space within the existing location you're in, you got to treat it that way. Yeah. If you aren't, oh my god, you're leaving so much on the table. You're leaving you're leaving everything on the table. So, I implore you to look for questions that you ask yourself and go, it could be this way or that way. Which way should it be? And even if you already have your mind made up, even if you do, even if you know which way is going to be better, ask the question yeah, and see what comes back. Because what you might learn is that other people are like, hell yeah, that's obviously the better decision. You also might learn that people think it's not the right decision and they have a better idea and you would have made your mind up and then made people you know, suffer through something that's less than what they wanted and simultaneously taken away an opportunity for them to feel like they were part of the process, a part of creating something together. Yeah. Uh, that barn raising process that we talk about in, in the first 10, uh, where people being a part of the process doesn't just create the outcome. It creates these secondary effects that in my opinion are actually the primary effects that buy in that sense of ownership, mm -hmm. that connection to each other that we made it together um, you know, I will feel about this building that I have no emotional connection to myself. I'm speaking for myself. I have no emotional attachment to this building. Sure. I didn't walk into this building, fall in love and go, this is it. This is perfect. This is our new home. I walked in and said, yep, we can make this work. Mm -hmm. And I knew that through this process, I would have a chance to fall in love with this building because we'll make it ours. Mm hmm and it won't be perfect. It'll never be perfect. I could disillusion myself. I could trick myself into thinking that we'd make it perfect. But why? Like, perfect isn't the goal. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, you set yourself up for a loss when you choose it that way. So instead, I look at everything as a blank canvas. And I say, how can, we, how can I invite dialogue? Whether that's with one person, one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's with 5, 10, 15, 20 people at one of our new home happy hours, whether that's an email, discussion that goes out to 300 plus people, mm -hmm. whether that's the town hall that we're going to be having in a couple of weeks in, in right. July, you know, every single one of those diet points of dialogue is important. And maybe, you know, the, the last tip that I can give in this process for anyone who's going through it, and this is something to practice community building in general and, and maybe life and business in general. I think everything is like, be prepared to repeat yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be super sick of saying the same thing over and 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 over. But there's someone who hasn't heard it yet. And if they feel like they're getting it phoned in the 7th, 14th, 37th, 90th, 150th time, if they feel like they're getting it phoned in, you miss out on an opportunity for a connection. Yeah. So the hardest part about all of this is being okay with that. That's a muscle I've built. I'm good at it. Yeah. But that's from practice, well, not the, because I was born with that ability. Practice is so significant. It, the dialogue that we have toward making any decisions for this new place, all of that is practice to continue having dialogue after we've moved in and for our entire future. So the dialogue that we have, the, the practice that we, we maintain of talking to one another about these things actually serves our future beyond just moving in and settling in. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I was just thinking about how, you know, people train for 
marathons and yeah. runs and stuff like that. And, you know, Mike recently did this, you know, the, and I'm not, a, I'm not a runner, so I'm, I'm speaking only based on what I've heard, but like training for a race and running the race are two different things mm-hmm. from what I understand. And different people have different strategies for navigating that to get the most out of their training versus the most out of their their run. Uh, I heard Malcolm Gladwell recently talking on the Tim Ferriss podcast about running and how professional track and field runners, they actually train with restraint, which is very, very difficult. Okay. So that when they hit the actual track, they just unleash and go insane, mm-hmm. and that's how they win. Mm-hmm. And that's a very specific coaching practice where coaches actually get their athletes to restrain themselves, which is really, really hard. But when you say restrain themselves, you mean not physically, but restrain themselves from putting out all of their energy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, from this is don't, don't blow it all here. You know, and this is, this is really, I heard that. I actually had to rewind the interview and like actually think through that and go, wow, that's fascinating. And the psychology that sets up, and if I translate, that's what we're talking about here. A lot of times people treat the launch, right? The opening of a space is all of this flurry of work that has to happen. And as soon as I cross that finish line, whew, good, it's over. When in reality, it's just just begun, (laughs) right? And people launch businesses and products that way and navigating this move. And yes, I'm going to have a sense of relief when I know that we've met our deadline, but it's more about meeting the deadline so that we're not in trouble because in this particular case, we have a deadline to meet. Otherwise, we're in some trouble. Yeah. And that trouble in itself is not like insurmountable. There's not somebody moving in after us. Like if we needed to put an elbow in the spine of my landlord and squeeze another couple of weeks or even a month out of them, I'm sure it might be expensive, but I'm sure we could we do can it. Make it happen. We can make it happen. Like we're not dead and we're certainly not homeless. Um, so this is not dire straits. I look at this process, this move, not as the marathon itself. This is not the run. This is the training. Mm-hmm. And the next window, the, I would say the next 12 months after we move is the first run, which is preparation for the bigger run, which is the next five to eight years or more in, yeah. in this space and whatever comes next. Yeah. So if you let a project like this and all the detail, all the minutia that is inevitable, it's going to happen. The worst thing you can do is let yourself be surprised by it. And maybe that's my advantage right now as I've been through this enough times that like construction projects have annoying minutia. Do not be surprised by it. When, yeah. the, th- when the thing you don't expect shows up, it's a surprise because you let it be. Right. Versus my psychology is, well, I wasn't expecting that. And that's as much as I, that's as much energy as I give it. And now I've, I've figured out it's got to get done, right? There's no sense in dwelling on, on the surprise. Yeah. This is the training. This is the training wheels for, for how we make this house a home. Yeah. And probably the most valuable process to go through so long as we go through it this way. And if what's been happening is any indication of what happens after, you know, September 1st when we move in, I think this uh, next chapter for Indy Hall is going to be pretty awesome. A few years ago, we made a big hubbub about Nerd Street, North Third Street, our corridor that connects all of us from north of Market Street all the way up to Girard. Yep. We're moving off of Nerd Street. Well, look, Nerd Street's a state of mind. That's it. And we're moving to the nerd floor. <laughs> It's the that third is, floor. That is true. It's the nerd floor. North in that it is upward toward the sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, look, when we, and, and I, I still have mixed feelings about the whole Nerd Street corridor. 
definition being a placemaking project in the way that it was where we defined it to a specific address when mm-hmm. my goal was to define more of a geography than an address. Yeah. And in all of that, it's still more about leading by example and having a sta- certain state of mind, having a way of interacting with each other mm-hmm. and having it be easier for people to find each other, not about actually being on North 3rd Street. And I think, if anything, this is a way for us to demonstrate that. We can show how to be on Nerd Street without being on North 3rd Street, right? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest questions that we've been getting from our own community and outside of our community, because our art program has been such a big part of the connective tissue of our community. In fact, one of probably the most valuable things that have, that have been added to our community in the last three or four years is, how is the new space going to affect our participation in First Friday? And I said, the only reason we would stop is if we decided to stop. We're not deciding to stop. We're just going to take the new constraints and do something new with it. And if anything, we'll drag First Friday off of Nerd Street into a part of the neighborhood that it wasn't before. Right. Hey. What's bad about spreading it out? Exactly. So the real question is, will they let us fly a Nerd Street banner next to the American flag in front of the building? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> will they let us or will I do it on my own? That's our Jolly Roger. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be... Look, things are going to change. Everywhere we'd move away from the space we are, things are going to change. That is an inevitability you can't control. I look at it and go, how do we make sure that it changes for the better in more ways than it changes for the worse? There are things that'll be different. Maybe that's an opportunity to reevaluate how we were doing it and say, is there a way to do it better? And think critically actually use it as a prompt to make an improvement instead of just doing it the way we've always done it. Yeah. Complacency is the enemy, my friends. Yeah. And I think uh, something like this, a big shakeup, it's a lot of work, a lot of challenges, uh, potentially very expensive. But truth is, is like, I'm not sure I would choose it. Given the choice, which right now I don't really have, we have to do it. Yeah. I'm glad that we're going through it. And that might sound like some serious mental gymnastics to convince myself that this is a good thing. But I truthfully, I honestly completely believe that it is because we've decided to make it that way. Mm -hmm. The best thing that can come out of this is that we come out better on the other side. The Mm -hmm. only way we screw this up is by not being the best version of ourselves, which, uh, you know, the only way we let that happen is by, getting lazy this is not the time to get lazy this is the time to double down on every principle every pattern every design technique every lesson we've learned apply it this is like getting to go back to the very beginning but with everything that we've built up until this point that's very exciting very very exciting uh and also an opportunity for me to deploy all the lessons that we teach our listeners you know it's very it's kind of hypocritical for me to talk about what it's like at the beginning not hypocritical but uh maybe unbelievable to talk about what it's like at the beginning when it's been so long since the beginning and i think people look at me kind of crooked sometimes and like you don't really remember what you it's like really, yeah 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 and a i do maybe not completely cuz i'm not in it but you know going through the project that that you and i just put together uh uh adam and and mike helped us edit the the first 10 the audiobook that if you haven't checked out i recommend you go check out it's actually in the it's below the show notes if you go to this uh, page we dug deep into that process and it's been kind of cool to see that overlap to dig through old emails to revisit that time in parallel to going through it and realizing this is the same game again. We're doing this now. We're doing it again. We're doing it again. And we do it every day, just in different scales. Yeah. That is, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the fallacy and, and, and where people get hung up. Not, every, not everyone's built to do things for the long term. I totally get that. I'm totally in this for the long haul, and not everybody is. I know that. I know that. I know that. And I'm not 
Never want to project what I want into somebody else. If you don't want to do this for the long term, that's fine. But I would ask you for the sake of your community that if you don't want to do it for the long term, what do you want to do it for? Right. And are they on board with that? Because if your community is not on board with it, then, then your, you know, your desire to help your community without a long term game plan is putting your community at risk before anything's even begun. Yeah. Part of the reason that I love the long game, I love it is because it's an opportunity to practice something and get really, really good at it. And that, I mean, every practice in anything, sport, music, is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. You play the same chord on the guitar until your fingers don't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. You try that drum riff until it doesn't feel weird and awkward. You run until you can run a little bit further, whatever it might be. Practice is is repetition, and I think a lot of people let boredom get in the way of excellence. Mm -hmm. It's true. The reason that we're really good at what we do and the reason people get really good at what they do, it's not because they were born with it. It's because they look at boredom and say, not how do I throw that away and do something new, but how do I push through that and, and, and get a little better at it? And if you do the same thing and you never try and get better at it, then, yeah, I could see getting bored and getting disenfranchised and wanting to move on. But if you constantly want to get a little better at it, if you want to think creatively about how you can apply it over and over and over to new, new places, new methods, I mean, this might change the thing. That I might want to do something entirely different tomorrow. I might wake up tomorrow and want to do something entirely different. Yeah. But for now, I love what I do every day because every day affords me the ability to take all the things I've learned up until this point and try it again. I'm in competition with one person. It's me. I want to best myself every single time. That's what this is about. I'm not competitive in the traditional sense. Like, I really don't care what our quote-unquote competitor, I don't care what other co-working spaces are doing. I'm competitive against myself more than anything else. And I think that translates over to the culture of Indie Hall. This is a community of people who compete against themselves more than they compete against each other. Constantly trying to level up, trying to get better. And we push each other to do that. It's just like competitive collaboration. It's weird. Mm-hmm. But um, it feels really good to be surrounded by people that think that way, that acknowledge that way, that respond really positively to that. Because that's how we've done what we've done for 10 years. And that's how we'll keep doing it for 10 or more. All right, my friends, that is the end of this two-part series where Adam and I hopefully extracted some of the most valuable lessons and what we have learned in going through the preparations to move Indie Hall from our home of the last seven years into the new one that we're moving into in just a few weeks. And if you got something really great out of these last couple episodes or any episodes of the show, I'd love to hear what those things are. So you can shoot me an email, alex at IndieHall.org. You can tweet at me, at Alex Hellman. Or if you're into the whole iTunes thing, we'd love a review. If you open up iTunes, if you search for the Coworking Weekly Show and leave a review, five stars and a little note about what you've been learning from the show. Those reviews mean a whole lot to me and they help other people know what they're going to be getting out of the show. So check that out if you've got a few minutes. We'd love, 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 really appreciate that. In the next few weeks, we're going to be diving back into some more Q&A episodes. Got some really exciting stuff coming and I look forward to sharing that with you. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time. Thank you.